For January 20th, 2020, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 603, A Bad Boy of Faith or a Bad Boy of Works. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like a uh, a department who protects and serves the uh, the popular culture and our listeners. But sometimes there are renegades. Sometimes there are, you know, uh, let's say uh, unruly chaps. No, let's say uh, disobedient guys. I, gosh, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. Uh, all I know is that I, Matthew Rather, am one, and my friend Pete Fenzel is another. Hey, Pete, we pod together. We mod together. <laughs> we were looking for we cast together. Oh, Overth- yeah, oh, okay. Overthinkers for life. This is right. Pete Fenzel, uh, and we are talking about the film Bad Boys for Life, or Pete, as it would be more accurately titled, Bad Boys Three Life. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. Exactly. Three bad, three boys. Uh, yeah. Which is interesting because there are three bad boys. Um, in the film. So, spoiler alert for uh, Bad Boys for Life or Bad Boys 3 Life. Now, no matter how many of, and, and for the whole bad, bad averse, the whole boys averse, uh, beginning with, um, beginning with 1995's Bad Boys and, and continuing to, uh, you know, 2020's uh, Bad Boys 3 Life. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna discuss it. We're gonna, you know, and, and, uh, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, what, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when the overthinkers come for you? Pete, I need to start this with a question. Okay. Tell me everything you know about the Nissan Quest. <laughs> I love it. So the <laughs> Nissan Quest. First of all, this weekend, on Thursday of this weekend, I went to the New England International Auto Show, Wait, which I really? always enjoy going to. What's up? Oh, calling an audible. CarCast 2020. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> how, how was it? You didn't even know that it was there. It was good. I think that we've hit a certain kind of point in auto development where there aren't a lot of things that are coming out that are all that exciting right now from a kind of see it at the car show and sit in it perspective because everybody's working on the touch screens and the autonomous technologies. And so I didn't see too many designs that really jumped out at me. But I will say for, for this, for the sake of this discussion, the Nissan Quest was not at the car show. <laughs> Nissan did not even bother bringing a Quest to the car show. And I sat in a Honda Odyssey. I sat in a Chrysler Pacifica. I'm pretty sure that Ooh, the Chrysler um, Pacifica. I hear good things about the Chrysler Pacifica. Perhaps from you is where I hear the good things. <laughs> how, how was well, it? Here's the funny thing, right? Is that Nissan brought an NV200, uh-huh. but it did not bring a Quest. Oh, my goodness. Um, Wait, do they even make the Quest? Do they? I, think uh, I said, this is the funny thing. And everyone's like, I'm really gearing up for something. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, does, is the quest even? I mean, I gotta think that they must still make it. No, no, they didn't. They stopped making it. 
that, that this was part of what boggled my mind a little bit, right? Which was that uh, not only not only did content. did Martin Lawrence's character in Bad Boys Three Life uh, drive a minivan, but he drove a minivan that was not a product placement because it's one you can't even buy anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. It yes. would be like you 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 think it would be a Chrysler Pacifica, and there would be like you know I don't know a, a thing where he has to like clean it using the built-in vacuum cleaner for dog hair and Cheerios yeah. or something, right? That, that like, scene is in uh, Fast and Furious 7. Of course, they're town of country. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, sorry, tell me tell me more about the, the auto show. Oh, I mean, I don't have to tell you that much about it. Just that the uh, the Nissan Quest was not there. <laughs> and it, the Nissan Quest was generally believed to be a uh, an also-ran van, uh, not even originally uh, designed by Nissan. It was actually a Mercury Villager, which is another kind of minivan that nobody thinks of when they think of minivans. Uh, I think that, that if the auto show really showed anything, it was just that crossovers have taken over all cars, and pretty much every car is a crossover now, And uh, which is fine. You know, they're, they're all the same in that respect. It's just sort of like a higher car. It is a car. It's not like the cars are all going away. And we did get to see, they did, Acura brought the NSX, which is always nice because when Acura doesn't bring the NSX, it's always a little bit sad. And Cadillac decided to show up this year after not being there last year, which is also nice because the Cadillacs are comfy to sit in. And, and uh, sometimes they're ostentatious, though they're not ostentatious this time. Not a lot of luxury cars, a um, whole bunch of Fords. Um, the new e- Mach-E or the electric Nissan was there. The electric uh, Mustang was there. But all that aside, the main point of this is that Bad Boys 3 Life, which we, it's funny that we call it that, right? Because uh, fat, Too Fast, Too Furious is a Bad Boys ripoff, right? Like like Bad Boys as the sort of two – I guess they're all Miami Vice ripoffs is, is the idea, right? Like not ripoffs. Let me rephrase. The Miami buddy cop adventure – is Miami Vice, right? That is the classic I mean, Miami buddy they're cop. All, they're all Achilles and Patroclus Iliad ripoffs, aren't they? You know? I, at a, Achilles at a, and Patroclus aren't like peers fighting at the same. Achilles Achilles doesn't go out on the field until Patroclus is killed. What are you talking well, about? There's, there's <laughs> a good point. But that's, uh, I mean, yeah. you know, Martin Lawrence doesn't go out on the field until Will Smith is, is killed in a way, you know? Until well, they, at this point, you've figured out the secret to interpreting Bad Boys 3 Life, which is that it is classical literature, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I just have to tell you, Pete. Today, uh, I saw in the wild. I saw a uh, Maserati Levante uh, on the four hundred five on, on, <laughs> on Interstate four hundred five, and I thought, "Wow, that's uh, Maserati is so threatened by the Porsche Cayenne that they uh, decided they need to make a make a crossover SUV as well." And I I don't know. Do you like driving crossovers, Pete? It's I'm I'm not I'm not kidding about making a CarCast twenty twenty. Is that no, <laughs> I'm I'm kidding about being not kidding about making a CarCast twenty twenty. I just I just don't like crossovers. I don't like driving yeah. them. I don't like the visibility generally. I don't like the handling. It's uh the you know. Um, they, they seem like the worst of all worlds to me. Well, I mean, I like driving on dirt roads. I like carrying around lots of stuff. I, you know, I drive a Subaru, uh, that we take up into Vermont and, and things like that. So, I mean, I enjoy driving. I would say that I enjoy driving more SUV type things. Mm. Uh, it, and although I have, of course, if you really want to drive a great car, right, you're not going to get a crossover. Um, I mean, the best car was probably that I've driven was probably the GT3. Right at my bachelor party that, yeah. that I drove on the racetrack in New Orleans, which was wonderful. 
Um, a Porsche again, heavily featured in in uh, in this movie as well. A classic, you know, the kind of uh, design that you look at and you instantly know what it is, even if it's been many years since you've been around one, or even if you've never actually uh, been in one at all. I had um, to look. I had to look one up. It's a it's a 2020 Porsche 911 Carrera 4S. Uh, there you go. And and uh, it it takes the place of from from Bad Boys Two, um, Too Bad Two Boys. It takes the place of the Ferrari Five Fifty Maranello, which it was uh, I think Michael Bay's car originally right. <laughs> that that he just lent to the to the production. But he drives a Porsche in, uh, um, he drives a Porsche in the new thing, and and Martin Lawrence opens the door into a uh, into a fire hydrant. Who hasn't been there? <laughs> well, it's a lovely shot because it's the first moment where you really feel like they're embracing the aesthetic of the previous movies, where you get that low angle shot and the music starting to kick in and Will Smith gets out of the car in slow motion and you're like, OK, this is a bad boys movie now. And then uh, Martin Lawrence stands up and he hits the car against the fire hydrant and you're like, oh, this is a bad boys movie. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> like um, as as such. Uh, as, as, uh, as such as it were. It so. definitely, yeah, it had it, it had a different, definitely a different tonal. Um, it definitely had a different kind of tonal thing than the, than the Fastiverse, than the very self-serious, yeah. um, Fastiverse, which was not always quite so self-serious, but, uh, uh, became so. And, uh, this, this was not, I mean, there, there were a couple, there were a couple uh, of moments where the director whose name I forget, but it is, um, going to come up on IMDb in just, in just a second. Wow. Well, you might forget because it doesn't have one director. It has two directors. Oh, really? Yeah, they're Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falah Got it. are the directors. And you may know them from such films as Beverly Hills Cop 4, TBA, <laughs> <laughs> and a movie called Snowfall made in 27. No, it's a TV series. So they generally do, I guess they do TV series? They do, yeah, they do a lot of, uh, they do TV uh, directing. I don't know why. They're directing this movie. Oh, they directed a Wiz Khalifa music video. Well, uh, a lot. I mean, a lot of the the film has the feel of music video, and I think music videos are good. You know, good um, kind of proving ground for action cinema, especially because of the you know the focus on sensation and kind of the and kinesis. But uh, yeah, so. But they they are aping Michael Bay's style, right? They have, and there are a couple of that them. That is their job. They are assigned to make a ripoff Michael Bay movie in right. this case, and they but, do it pretty well. Yeah, reasonably you, well. You have to think that it's endorsed by by Mr. Bay, right? Because he appears in the movie, exactly, right? To uh, <laughs> as a wedding DJ, which is delightful, <laughs> introducing and she, me. Yeah. Yeah, and so so like the the if you watch the every frame of painting about Michael Bay the the what is Bayhem episode of that wonderful video essay series on YouTube, like one of the things that uh, is called out is the the um, character stands up in slow motion, low angle shot that where the camera kind of swings around him, and it's it's always him. So the um, 
they they do that and that that's what was happening in that uh in that shot um that Pete is describing sort of early on where there's kind of a pathetic drop from the the heroic to the you know to the slapstick right in that first shot and the interesting thing i thought about that was that the car was a character in that shot as well it it like you know sort of caressed lovingly the badge the Porsche badge um on the front of the car before it got to Martin Lawrence on the passenger side, opening the, opening the, the uh, passenger door into the, into the fire hydrant. And there are one or two other of those, um, there are one or two other of those, uh, of those shots. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I would say that like, it actually is pretty tame compared to Michael Bay himself. Uh, mm-hmm. that like, you know, Michael Bay, another thing from that every frame of painting video essay is that like in, in Michael Bay movies and think of some of the chaos in Pearl Harbor or transformers, right? Like there, there was a, a foreground, middle ground and background planes. Um, and there's action going on in all three very often, you know, uh, action kind of skew to the other action or debris blowing or a lamppost or something and the camera is moving. And so it gives this sense of depth, um, and it gives a sense of, uh, you know, it gives a sense of kind of like excitement and and motion. Um, one of the points of the Every Frame of Painting essay, uh, this video essay on on Bayhem, is that um, there's really no editorial point. It's just sensation. It's just that these things look cool. There, it's no like you know the the. Um, the uh, low angle shot with the camera swinging around the character, the hero standing up in slow motion can be because he's going to go defeat the villain or because he's, he's going to go get a $5 foot long at subway, right? There's no um, really differentiation uh, editorially between these things. And, and, you know, this film for what it's worth actually uh, manages, I think to tighten up and discipline the use of some of these things. And actually the, the, you know, staging the entire finale in a single like hotel in a single structure is a move kind of towards towards discipline. Um, it's it's an interesting storytelling problem. Like, how do you use the architecture, the kind of the geometry and architecture of the hotel? And the answer is kind of like a video game. You sort of clear it level by level, right? And uh, it's about going up and and coming down again. You know, and that. It's sort of interesting, but I'm, 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 uh, I'm getting ahead of our, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Pete, uh, is bad boys for life, the best movie about aging that has been released in 2020. <laughs> That's a really tall order. Cause it's actually pretty good. <laughs> it's actually, it's actually pretty good. Um, but of course, 2020 is only three weeks old. So I'm trying to see if there's any other movies about aging that have already come out. Right. Dr. Doolittle. Uh, there was a, the grudge remake, uh, the mercenary. I don't even know. January 9th, January 10th, like a boss. I don't know. That might be up there. Uh, but three this is, Christs starring I mean, Peter Dinklage. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's about three delusional men who think they're Jesus. Um, oh, oh, fair enough. You're not and, talking about Bad Boys Three. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's yes, the answer is yes. The answer to your question I mean, is in a way, in a way, yes. Bad Boys Three is about three delusional men who think that they're 
uh, think that they're Jesus. So what, yeah. Uh, what, what were your, uh, initial impressions of, of bad boys three life and, and, um, you know, what are, and, and are we, what, uh, what, what does it mean to be bad and a boy and a bad boy in this universe? That is, that is a more loaded question than one might expect because the biggest surprise that bad boys for life has waiting for the viewer is that it seriously addresses the moral questions surrounding its subject matter. <laughs> and in fact, I will say this, that is not, it is not only the, the best movie about aging to be released in 2020. It is perhaps the best movie about Christianity that I have seen maybe in a couple of years at least yeah uh like this is a this is a very religiously concerned movie for an action movie and just for a movie in general these days uh and it's again this is not a super serious movie and and it is it is definitely more uh kind of grounded in its kind of consideration of ethical and moral questions. Yeah. Uh, Not just ethical in the sense of, you know, well, what if we assume that the world puts upon us an obligation to do the right thing, then what is the right thing? But ethical in the sense of what it is, what is it to do the good thing in order to live like the good life, right? And even a larger sense of what the very purpose of ethics is comes into play pretty directly in the movie Bad Boys for Life, which you would not expect, right? This is this is a movie where they actually they have a wonderful little exchange, right? Where where uh, you know Martin Lawrence says or I should use their I should use their names because I don't want to give I don't want to get into the whole question of whether Martin Lawrence is really kind of a scuzzy dude and like not somebody that you really want to be praising and 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 just I want to put a pin in that because Tisha Campbell's put a bit of a pin in it too uh, and I hear that they've reconciled a bit recently and I don't want to go down that whole road I just want to put a pin in it that I don't want to make this a hate a sort of praise piece for Martin Lawrence even though he's very funny in this movie but anyway um, so Marcus. Right. Who is the of the two bad boys? If you are not familiar with the bad boys franchise, perhaps this is a brief primer I can give you. Uh, This is a movie that you don't want to have spoiled for you because it has one twist that is really good. But if you're not going to see it, feel free to keep listening. And if you have not seen any of the other ones, they will, as some of my friends told me when I asked them, uh, you know, well, my wife has asked me, uh, should you see Bad Boys 1 and 2 before you see Bad Boys 3? Uh, the answer is it won't necessarily affect your enjoyment of Bad Boys 3, but it will affect your enjoyment of life. So you should see them. <laughs> um, but uh, but but the Bad Boys, right, are a, a bit of a flip on the conventional buddy cop duo. Because usually in a buddy cop duo, you have the kind of wacky cop and the, the straight man cop. Mm. And the wacky cop is the cop who does all the crazy things. Right. And the straight man cop is the cop who does the sort of more sort of reasonable sort of police work. Right. So, you know, uh, you've got Danny Glover and Lethal Weapon. He's investigating the South African embassy. Yeah, he goes in undercover and he's really pursuing a lead. And then you have Mel Gibson and Lethal Weapon, who's like hanging off the side of a truck, like doing flips and screaming. Right. Um, In Bad Boys, it's a little flipped in that you have Marcus and Mike and Mike is the one who does the crazy things. But Mike is also the straight man. So it's a movie where he is the sort of action hero cop. And then there's Marcus, who's his buddy, who is both the sort of comic foil, but also his skills are more applicable applicable to standard police work, right? Following leads, talking to witnesses, remembering sources, things like that. He's a more pedestrian sort of cop, but he's also the funny one. So it's sort of a built-in parody of high-action cop stories uh, because they've they've flipped the script on it and made the super cop the normal cop. And the, the sort of guy wearing the slouchy varsity jacket, the like the joke cop, right? Um, as opposed to the other way around. 
So, and this is the movie, Bad Boys for Life. The main question in Bad Boys for Life is is that that Marcus, the sort of slouchy cop, uh, ha, it wants to retire, right? And they're partners, right? And then Will, and then Mike, who's Will Smith, who's the super cop, doesn't want to retire because he has basically nothing else else in his life. And then Will Smith gets shot and nearly dies. And Marcus literally has a come to Jesus moment where he goes to a, he goes to a chapel in the hospital and he prays and he promises God that if Mike Will Smith is spared, he will do no more violence in the world, which is a daring, daring challenge to put upon a main character in a bad boys movie. Right. Like I will do no more violence. And uh, and the rest of the movie is an interrogation of this promise uh, and also what it means to kind of make this kind of promise. And there's a lovely conversation uh, where Marcus says to Mike, right, uh, you know, you've, you've spent so much time being a bad boy. It might now be time to consider being a good man. <laughs> and uh, Will Smith says, oh, yeah, right. Good man. Good man. What they going to do? <laughs> and it's like, well, you have to sing it like you believe it. And I thought that was really powerful. Right. This idea that like um, so uh, to, to, to loop it even farther back, the whole song that this is all based on. Right. Which is um, Inner Circle. Right. No, is it? Is that who it is? Is it Inner Circle? Maybe I might be confusing them with uh with is it let me see it's a reggae group uh-huh. um i think it is inner circle uh yes the the song is not necessarily what you think it's about right the song is about men who young men who misbehave and how they will eventually face the consequences of their actions and it goes on to um insult them for projecting their emotional distress onto all the people around them, right? You you chuck it on this one, you chuck it on that one, you chuck it on brother, brother and you chuck it on your sister, you chuck it on your mother, you chuck it on your father, you chuck it on them, and you chuck it on me. Being like all the people in your family and your community are suffering because bad boys, bad boys, right, are doing, are acting out, and that they will eventually face the consequences of their actions. But the song has this sort of like such a funky transgressive beat to it. And of course, it was played as the theme song for the TV show Cops, uh. right, where the idea is like the cops are coming. And they're, they're, I guess the cops are supposed to be bad guys. Why? You know, they're supposed to be the good guys. And that's a whole other conversation. Right. But the point being that the bad boys in the bad boys movie are cops who don't follow the rules. They are loose cannons. They they flip cars. They blow things up. They go on crazy high speed chases. Right. They they get in gigantic bullet time gunfights. Um, and it's supposed to be a sort of the bad boys have the sort of fantasy decisiveness and capacity to kind of release their pent up uh, aggression and and to sort of transcend traditional notions of self-control to sort of liberate the audience through their free exercise of their uh, desire for justice. Right. It's like we don't follow these rules that that keep other people from doing things. It's just the diehard plot is what it is. Right. It's like, well, society is is too strict and the bureaucracy doesn't really the bureaucracy has kind of lost its moral fiber. And thus, if you want people to actually pursue justice, you need to find people who are willing to go outside the rules and take action when it's necessary. And then you just turn that to 11 and you've got bad boys. And so as you get to Martin Lawrence talking about this with Will Smith and rather Marcus talking to it with Mike, it's this question of, well, this whole thing that we've been doing this entire time, our sort of fetishizing ourselves as against the rules, maybe it works when you're young. Because you're, as we've talked about so many times in this podcast, there's a sort of analogous relationship between the teenager and the parent 
and the rebel and the oppressive society. <laughs> and it's a metaphor. It's that, you know, Katniss Everdeen, yeah, sure, she's a rebel fighting an oppressive government, but she's a teenage girl fighting her parents <clears throat> or like an abusive parental stand in. Right. Um, and, and the sort of poor parenting that's being done to her by the community that she lives in. And so in YA literature and this sort of literature of rebellion, there's this ongoing kind of psychological connection between being young and kind of being oppressed and being a rebel, right? Teenagers are cool because they're always oppressed is, is an article we've talked about in the past on the podcast. And then in this movie, Marcus is saying, hey, we're not young anymore. We're the older people. I, I have a grandchild now. You know, my daughter, whose sexual maturity has been a running joke through the previous Bad Boy movie, right? like uh, much to my embarrassment uh, in an inappropriate manner by all of my coworkers. Um, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden she's a mother, you know, she's marrying this guy that I've been making fun of for the previous movies. Um, I have a grandchild. I'm feeling this sense of responsibility. I'm feeling the idea that, OK, maybe I'm not the rebel anymore. Maybe I'm the person that maybe other people rebel against or i'm supposed to be in that kind of situation okay we're the good men now what are we going to do right it's so easy when what we do is just follow the break all the rules and and go crazy and like other people will rein us in the captain will come by and and, and save us in this case it's like okay well what if you were the person who was the ultimate you know moral authority in your inner circle of people inner circle uh what would you do how would you act differently? Would you still go around shooting people? I mean, you probably shouldn't be doing that in the first place. Um, and so there's this question in the movie where where uh, and, and the movie, the movie's central twist throws a real monkey wrench into this question and I think really highlights it. Uh, but, you know, Martin Lawrence is saying I'm going to give up violence entirely. And the central question then comes in a later scene where Martin Lawrence finds himself in the sidecar of a futuristic motorcycle with a 50 caliber machine gun like you do. And uh, and and he's saying and Will Smith is saying you need to shoot the 50 caliber machine gun at the uh, I forget. I'm like, I forget. Terrorists, biker gang people, evil people of various sorts. It's um, oh, Mexican yeah, cartel gangsters. Yeah, right. Yeah, But it's un it's unclear. Right. Because the, the in that particular moment, the relationship between the main antagonist of the film and the, you know, Dila de los Muertos masked uh, dirt bikers, like crossover yes. dirt bikers who are uh, menacing them at that particular moment. The relationship is unclear. The, right. the main guy escaping is the the henchman to the um you know to the main antagonist who who we have a surprising realization about later but the um uh the main antagonist not the uh not the henchman uh but the uh the guys around are just you know uh are just sort of uh, uh red shirts kind of or yeah. bad boy red shirts yeah and so and of course, there is a rule in this movie, which is in order to fire a gun while on a dirt bike, you have to do a wheelie. You have to pop a wheelie, either a front or back wheelie in order to fire an Uzi on a dirt bike. I have no idea if that's actually like the reality of firing an Uzi on the dirt bike. If you fired an Uzi on a dirt bike, uh, sound off in the comments of the podcast. No, but but he says to to Mike, you know, it says, well, I can't fire this gun because I made a promise while you were coding that if God brought you back, then I would do no more violence. And then Mike says to him, you know, God put that in front of you. Uh, he has made you his instrument, <laughs> right? Like, like, and he says, it's like, uh, it's like, um, 
David and Goliath. Although I think the more apt biblical connection, which they wouldn't make, would be Samson and the jawbone of the ass when mm. he fights the Philistines, right? This idea that there's this biblical notion that when you are in an hour of need, you know, God will make you his instrument and provide you with a weapon that you can use. This is very Old Testament stuff. Uh, and, uh, and, and so Martin Lawrence is, you know, or Marcus, as it were, is, is not hard to convince and then promptly begin. And he sort of talks himself through it and decides to to go backward from his sort of New Testament idea to his Old Testament idea and start using the machine gun on people, which is sort of necessary for the movie to progress. But kind of unfortunate that doesn't entirely check, check, you know, doesn't entirely like they don't pay that choice. Maybe as much uh, gravitas later in the movie as they do in that moment. I think it might be a bit of a distraction were they to do it. But like, that's that's what this movie is about. This is a movie, this is a movie where there is a, uh, where DJ Khaled is personally in it, not quite acting while being handcuffed to a table and, and beaten, right? But it also right, is and, a movie... And, and, yeah. and tortured by law enforcement, right? Yes, like, this is a movie where DJ Khaled, while pretending to act, is being tortured by law enforcement, but it is also a movie in which a main character or a main supporting character gives a monologue about, like, a Buddhist spin on stoicism and, like, the the way to, like, to consider the, the sort of... Fr- your degree uh, or lack of self-control with regards to your emotions in your life. So there's a lot going on in this movie. Uh, much, I would say, more going on than in the previous Bad Boys movies in this sort of respect. And it does slow it down a bit. I did say that they're trying to do an imitation of Michael Bay. I think you're right in saying they're really not. It's a bit slower and more uh, dialogue-driven than I would generally expect from Michael Bay movie and a lot less kind of kinetic and uh, cosmological in terms of like the orientation of all the objects moving in space or astronomical, I suppose, than a Michael Bay movie would be expected to 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 be, though it has a pretty fierce uh, final macro action sequence in an abandoned Mexican monastery hotel. I don't even know. There's a lot of details in this movie that get a little fuzzy, but I do know it was called Hidalgo. And, and all you have to do is say Hidalgo one time and uh, you're on board. I don't know. I've gone off for a while now, Matt, about the moral implications of the discussions of this movie. And what were your what were your reactions to the bad boys? I guess I would say the answer to my to your question, like, what is a bad boy? Right. A bad boy in this context is either a transgressive young man who does not recognize that these the implications of his actions affect others uh, and as such will is ultimately going to be facing consequences for his actions from the tribe at large, uh, which is which is sort of a threat or a bad boy is a young principled moral actor who is willing because of a psychological relationship with their elders that that is driving towards self-individuation and kind of separation to break the rules of the organization, the group, the government, the community in order to pursue the abstract ethical notion of good or evil. Uh, right. And it's it's you know, the chaotic good as opposed to the lawful good. And these are the two ideas of what bad boys are. But in this movie, it introduces the third idea, which is the idea of the good man, which is, OK, uh, you know, take some responsibility for the fact that you're making these choices to act in this manner and uh, and consider whether it's good for you or good for the people around you and where it's taking you in terms of the ultimate outcome of, of not outcome, but the sort of ultimate experience of your life and the lives of others. So what the people you're responsible for? Yeah. Pete, how is your existentialism? Me? Mine? Yeah. It's yeah. OK. It's, yeah. It's like, right. I'm, I'm like a cocktail party existentialist. So you may need to jump in and and correct me. But my understanding is that one of the one of the kind of ethical insights, one of the kind of the ethical things that Sartre said about um, about making ethical uh 
uh, decisions in your life is that human beings are always in situation, right? It's not so that the idea of kind of abstract moral laws that, that guide our lives, uh, it's, it's tricky to evaluate those, um, because, you know, life isn't this sort of monolithic thing. You're always, you're always in situation and the kind of your, your conception of the good, you know, uh, of good action might, might change, you know, given the circumstances, given the circumstances around you. Is that a fair gloss or have I absolutely butchered it? Uh, I think I think probably. I mean, I definitely lean a little bit more towards the sort of Kierkegaard fear and trembling kind of approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, the idea that uh, um, I, I, I think maybe situation. Um, so, so I think what you're saying is that that uh, human beings exist in situation and you're describing situation as context. Yep. Right. Um, I, I would add further that situation depends on freedom in an essential respect mm. right so but it, it is the same thing right but it but it's the idea that this that the um that your context has to exist through uh uh the sort of uh, a freedom a freedom um oh how would i articulate it in particularly like a freedom that that the, the people involved in the situation whether it's you or somebody else has some sort of freedom to determine a particular outcome or to proceed in a particular way. And then that's what makes the situation a situation. So I would say maybe a, uh, both a necessary and sufficient condition there on both ends, right? As, as context, oppo- yeah. As opposed yeah. to the situation, uh, who was right. made, who was made the way that he was by his rippling washboard abs and his, uh, dedicated, uh, you know, dedicated pursuit of laundry, yeah. but one the- must consider Sisyphus happy, <laughs> but Sisyphus himself must consider his gym, his tan and his laundry. Is what you're saying. <laughs> um, right. So that I, you know, yes. Yeah, so that 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 um, what it does is kind of a, uh, complicate the account of the the good life because it makes it a moving target. I mean, like functionally, you know, um, and and it makes the kind of the sense of like what good decision, what what kind of right action in in any uh, you know, at any particular moment, uh, what that is, it makes it a, a moving target, and so it it you know, is, is sort of tougher to, um, to kind of make good decisions, make ethical decisions. And right. I, I think that like, is it, you know, look, is, is Martin Lawrence a good man when, or, or sorry, let me, let me go in the reverse order. Is Will Smith a good man when he refuses, when he, he more or less throws down his gun and he won't lift his, he won't raise his hands against his son uh, at the, at the end of the movie. And is Martin Lawrence a good man when he picks up the machine gun, you know, Um, right? Like, Hey, are we supposed to beat our swords into plowshares or do we, we beat our our plowshares into sorts. The answer is yes, right? And that like uh, um, that you're you're the the sort of the you know characteristics. I think the characteristics of of a good man are to kind of consider uh, you know um, a balance right between uh, one's personal commitments and the uh, you know, uh, what you might call expediency or sort of necessity in a, uh, uh you know, at, at a particular, at a particular moment, Will Smith is all, uh, expediency and kind of needs to come to a sense of obligation, uh, mm-hmm. needs to come to embrace a sense of obligation, which, which he does when he, in a kind of effed up way, but like whatever embraces his role as a father, you know, mm-hmm. or embraces some kind of duty as a father, you know, uh, to like, uh, not not um kill his son in an action scene in a mexican hotel 
Right. You know, I mean, that's, I would call that a necessary, but not sufficient condition. (laughs) (laughs) Parent of the year. Congratulations for not killing your son in an abandoned hotel in Mexico in a giant gunfight. (laughs) Whether or not it's called Hill Doggo. Um, The, uh, (laughs) but the, but but Martin Lawrence, right, like kind of becomes a little too absolutist. He, you know, he becomes a man of the book, you know, right? Like, like is is Christianity a religion of the word or a religion of the book? You know, and that's yeah. like uh, that that it is an it is an interesting question. And and the the answer the answer I think that that Bad Boys Three Life, um, you know, comes to uh, is is Trinitarian, uh, uh, which is you know wonderful given the father, that father, the son, and Martin Lawrence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and that that no is uh uh is both you know is is trinitarian in the sense that the that the trinity is um at the the council of um oh i forget which apostolic council it was was it chalcedon or was it nicaea or the when the the trinity was theorized uh they more or less threw up their hands and said uh it's a divine mystery don't don't try to understand it kind of like bruce willis and looper uh, <laughs> saying time travel in this film <laughs> Is you know, look, listen, don't don't think too much about it. The 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 three in one thing is is a divine mystery, and like let's not let's just leave it at that, and and you know get on uh, yeah. the the idea of of consubstant consubstantiality, and and you know the kind of the the dual nature of being a of of being a, a goodness of the word. Um, or, or uh, a, a goodness of faith, or a goodness of works. I guess is is what I mean by the you a, know a bad boy of faith, or a bad boy of works. Right, exactly, and that's <laughs> or a good man of faith, or a good good man of of uh, of works. Right, like uh, Will Smith has to become a good man of faith, and Martin Lawrence has to become a good man of of works. Yes. They're on they're on you know uh, related but distinct distinct paths, and and yeah. in that sense, like actually does you know is an interesting interesting you know ethical and and christian movie that uh um you know deserves uh further further study by committed monastics and uh <laughs> well so to add another dimension because there is also a dimension of what you're discussing and this whole dynamic right uh in in a which has a black history dimension in this movie right because at one point Martin Lucas, because because what what's the one thing that what's Martin Lawrence's kind of uh, prop, right? Martin Lawrence through this entire movie, or or Marcus as it were, has a a transformative prop that it's a Chekhov's gun in this movie. That uh, but ironically enough, in a movie with many guns, Chekhov's gun is not in fact a gun that he is constantly being told throughout the movie he needs to utilize. Right, right. Uh, is it is? is it a uh, LASIK eye surgery? Because uh... <laughs> it's his glasses because he's getting older, right? Yeah. They do a really beautiful thing with the glasses if you step back and take a look, especially in the context of everything we've already talked about. Because when Marcus and Mike go to uh, what's his name, Bacante Jackson or whatever it is, <laughs> they, uh-huh. <laughs> they they go and they go to interrogate a criminal a, a criminal accountant that is an accountant for criminals who goes by some sort of absurd name. His first name is Picante, and he ends up being this big fat uh, kind of drug addled white guy uh, in, in a yeah, room, twe- which is kind very of tweaker violent. tweaker like blowing rails of coke off his uh, accounting desk, you know, yeah. and uh, yeah, and and. Um, 
the punching a punching bag in his office or whatever it is. Yeah, and right? so they go into this room, and and Marcus is saying to Mike, "Hey, we're going to talk to this guy, right? <laughs> we're not going to agitate him. We just need to ask him some questions, right? Or is it is it Marcus? Marcus says it to Mike." Or Mike says it to Marcus. I yeah, think Marcus no, says Marcus, it to Mike. Marcus yeah. says it to Mike. That, yeah. And it's not even that we're going to like, it's not even, hey, we're going to play this one by the book. Those aren't the stakes. The stakes are almost like, look, this this will get exhausting if we do it your way. <laughs> <laughs> and right. and like we're we're gonna just go take the easy route. We're you know two roads diverged into yellow yellow wood, and I I took the one that led to less back pain, right? And that's uh that has made all the difference. So, so Marcus approaches the discussion with the violent white man by offering him kind of conciliatory discussion, right? We're not going to leave. We're going to leave you alone. We're not here to bother you. We just want to find the information about the guy who's killing all of the people who are associated with this old crime from like 25 years ago. That's the subject of the movie. And the, he is re, he is repaid for his nonviolent approach by being punched in the face, right? Like pretty hard, I think. And he's beaten, he's beaten a bit, right? The white guy beats him. And then um, Mike steps up and says, well, you know, you've dealt with, uh, Martin Luther King. Now it's time to deal with Malcolm X, and I'm going to do what you know, do this by any means necessary, uh-huh. right? And he steps up and he and he beats the he beats the guy and he gets the information. He threatens him with the gun and everything, and, and so there's this juxtaposition here between uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Of course, two religious leaders, right? So the movie is I say the movie is Christian. It's also fairly ecumenical in terms of using different symbolism from different religions, but it has this sort of core idea. Uh, you know, because Marcus is such a gospel fan and everything when he's driving his Nissan Quest, listening to gospel radio. But there's this idea of the two holy men, right? The holy, the nonviolent holy man, and then the righteously angry, violent holy man. Uh, and um, when Marcus is constantly being told to put on his glasses, at the end of the movie, in the final firefight in the Hotel Hidalgo, he puts on his glasses, and they're like brown line Malcolm X glasses. Yeah. Like not like a hundred percent, I don't think, but like they're Malcolm X glasses. And so when Martin Lawrence has finally decided that he's going to kind of uh, step away from his pledge of nonviolence, he, he's going to stop being the kind of uh, I have a dream nonviolence man. And of course, these are oversimplifications of two very complex men who at different times in their life espoused different tactics and believed in different things and certainly very both very passionate about what they did. But he stops being the kind of man who insists on nonviolence and becomes the man who insists on every, any means necessary, while at the same time, you know, you have Mike who is meeting. And of course, the big spoiler alert in this movie is that the Mexican assassin who's been sent by his mother to kill everybody who is in the movie, right, is uh, is actually Will Smith's child from a previous affair. This movie is very notable from having a lot of backstory in it that is not in any of the previous movies. Yeah, the way, I did. Which, I, yeah, that yeah. did that did occur to me and bother me just a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, like you're in the third movie. You can't pull some character out of Bad Boys One. Is there no? Is Tia Leone like? Did she die? Is she that busy? I don't know, right? But it's just like. Uh, 
But yeah, it's like there's this whole backstory where Will Smith went to Mexico undercover and had this torrid love affair with this woman. And the, the product of that love affair is the son who was raised in, you know, his mother was sent to prison and his father was killed uh, or was he sent to prison, too. And and he's been raised in this sort of uh, dislocation and, you know, and neglect and, and a sort of reaching out for any sort of uh, leadership. Also sort of, yeah, exactly. And also sort of sort of abused by his mother in the sense that he yeah. has been kind of, uh, you know, conditioned to become a, a specialist in violence for, you know, for the instrumentality of taking revenge on his mother's, uh, you know, his his mother's enemies. Yeah. Or, you she know, definitely becomes sort of like psych, yeah, psychologically abused and manipulated by his mother, who is I mean, this movie does does dally in some rather uncomfortable positioning of the chess pieces of identity in the sense that like the although there is it is to be credit there is like there is a female duality in this movie that is much more nuanced than we usually get instead we get like you know special uh, special ops you know tactics uh club woman and uh and and santeria witch as the sort of two models of the feminine ideal um machine guns or i guess what like say uh statues of, uh, of with skulls on them but yeah but this kid has no other leadership he's the bad boy in the bad boys song who is acting out because he has no structure in his life that isn't that he has structure but it's a it's a perverse and abusive structure that kind of continues a cycle of violence and the then the twist is that will smith is the father who wasn't there right and that he's actually the kid's biological father now granted given the scenario you might expect kind of an adopted situation adopted father situation right like perhaps the fact that he you know he was raised in the household of this mexican drug lord is also a problem it's not all will smith's fault but at the same but but the big question here is like oh you have been out here in the world pursuing justice and you yourself without knowing it have committed this vast injustice by abandoning this kid and so the kid has come back and is just wreaking havoc on everybody. That, right? he kills, would, would you say, uh, you know, that that bad boying is a family business and that, uh, <laughs> you know, that that he's abandoned his boy. He's abandoned his <laughs> child. Yeah. I want to see Pup Daddy in the back of that. Like, yeah, I'm, bad boy. I'm yeah. Mike Lowry. This is my son. <laughs> crazy psychopathic Mexican hitman who makes a who makes a completely psychologically unconvincing, you know, th- third act uh, change of heart to, you know, rescue, say rescue Martin the, Lawrence. This is the second best movie about a surprise uh in a uh, biracial father-son relationship uh since D- detective pikachu which, <laughs> is thing, which is also a movie about biracial parenting and this is also a movie about biracial parenting although in this sense it's not really about biracial parenting it's about the good samaritan right and it's about this 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 man is my neighbor right this is my this is my son this is my brother right like i think that in the sense that will smith recognizes that this kid is his child what he's recognizing is his responsibility to other people i don't think at least morally i read this as a story about being a a father in a specific sense except it's more in a general metaphorical sense um, you know, how do you set examples? How do you live a good life? And so what Will Smith does is he turns the other cheek. He literally, like, confronts him, refuses to hurt him, lets him take his anger out on him, likes you take it out on me, right? Like, I'm the one to blame. I take responsibility for my actions. And then that's what kind of – and then – and so he becomes the Martin Luther King, right, uh, nonviolence 
right? I will stand in front of you in front of the fire hose and take whatever you can throw at me. And that's how I will show you my strength that I can't be beaten because, you know, you can you can lock me up. You can sit dogs on me. You can throw water at me. You can you know, you can do all sorts of terrible things, but but I'm not going to give up. And I have sort of the power of righteousness. Right. And then Martin Lawrence shows up in the brow line glasses as Malcolm X and like shoots and shoots people. Right. It is like by any means necessary. Right. And then there's the conflict between the two women, because it's 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 uh, it's the cap. It's the new captain who kills the Santeria witch. Right. Uh, or is it Martin Lawrence who kills the same? Who pushes the the woman into the fire? Well, she gets um, she gets shot, I think, yeah. and falls into the fire. I forget um, who it's- it's the it's the other woman who shoots her. Yes, yeah, right? symbolically. Well, yeah. it it is. I mean, there there are a couple of uh, there are a couple of other women, and and then one one uh, man with a non binary gender presentation. But the yes. the uh, the um, yeah, I think at the end it it has to be uh, who and and it has to be that because she's the one who gives the movie its its kind of nuclear family kind of obligatory heterosexual closure, you know, right. at the end where Will Smith is holding Martin Lawrence's uh, grandson and it's like, oh, you look you look good with a baby, and then the the police captain or the one who's who's promoted to captain. Um, you know, uh, looks oh, by the at- way, my wife just texted me to tell me it's Rita. Rita is the one who is because the captain oh, got <laughs> heard it. me talking here in the other room. Rita is the name of the of the of the super cop uh, who is Will Smith's paramour, as it were. That's Sorry, well, yeah, no, I mean, that's that's funny. And I think like the the um. The the kids are interesting, and she's the kind of the she's the head of the. So she displaces the the bad witch. Um you know, and it is, it definitely, I saw it in a pretty full theater, full theater, and there was a lot of, uh, reacting to the, to the film. Like it definitely knew its audience and, and it was, uh, 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 nothing quite scored as nothing scored quite as big as, uh, don't you know, you shouldn't F a witch without a condom. <laughs> that, that was the, that was the line that just really, uh, you know, got a huge response in my, uh, in my thing like so the the you know the the bruja the uh sexist caricature of uh uh you know of a uh, uh, powerful and mysterious um you know mexican sort of female shaman healer uh is uh or you know or i don't know maybe they're they're witches i don't mean to be culturally insensitive maybe maybe it's just uh maybe they're just witches um, it, is, it is hard to draw enough of a line between the events of this movie and real life to decide who exactly ought to be offended by it. <laughs> <laughs> like they're there i'm sure <laughs> probably includes tisha campbell right but it's like uh, i'm sure there are a lot of people offended by this movie but there's a lot of like everything is going on is pretty wacky <laughs> so it's uh um, because it's also it's also countervailed by what they're they're trying to make positive messages too. So it's like, oh man, it's so tricky to like. There's a whole negotiation in this movie of toxic masculinity, uh-huh. which has a sort of intersectional racial component. Which is, I mean, if if you're the kind of person who's like, man, how come male action movies always embrace toxic masculinity and they don't have they don't have diverse 
casts and you know they don't have women in interesting roles with flaws and relationships right like and and uh and also they don't do old-fashioned cop movies and action movies anymore like this I, this movie felt like someone made a laundry list of all the things that people have been complaining about <laughs> and just like put them all into a movie yeah you gotta uh, go yeah, yeah so i i think the kids i think the sort of the the kids the squad the squad the like the technology squad um yes. is uh is pretty CSI, interesting csi abercrombie and fitch right, right? Um, or what do they call them? High School Musical, something, something. Yeah, because uh, Vanessa Hutchins is, is actually is actually one of the yeah with a with a side shave and a a penchant for kung fu. Um, <laughs> By the way, this is a movie again where a man gives a monologue about Buddhist a Buddhist interpretation of Stoicism, and also where Vanessa Hudgens baseball slides between a man's leg legs and fires thirty rounds directly into his crotch. <laughs> this, is, this is a movie that's all about cake, having the cake, eating the. Cake. Cake, throwing the cake into a helicopter. <laughs> There's more, yeah, oh. more than one, uh, more than one helicopter scene in this movie. Like you think, you think, you know, you get one helicopter, but no, not if, not if you're a bad boy. And I think like the, the, um, you know, the, the, the millennial cops, you know, are, uh, maybe are not, have, have a more complicated, a more nuanced relationship with the, um, with the with the idea with the kind of necessity of of bad boy bad boyness right because to a certain extent their social milieu provides them with more opportunities for varied forms of personal expression you know and so the the idea of badness as a the good bad binary and the boy the boy girl binary uh is insufficient to you know describe their uh their uh multi Continuous and, and multi-dimensional um, experience, you know that right. that that you can't uh, that just the idea of of having bad boys is too limiting um, to do it, and that's you know when they're when they're like uh, okay, grandpa, what they're you know what they're really saying is like I I I reject the ethical and the gender dichotomies <laughs> that you are, uh, you know that your uh, uh, franchise title uh, wishes to wishes to foist upon us um and the the answer like the literal answer that will smith and martin lawrence give in the film is yeah but the song is cool and and by the way don't sing the song because you don't sing it cool (laughs) and it's hard to learn the words it's a hard song to learn which is funny because it is except the chorus isn't right yeah no the bad boy yeah it is it is hard it's no uh you know snow's informer but the uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right but the yeah as um yeah as as offensive you know uh frat boy sing-alongs go this one must must uh rank up there with redemption song um so so okay yeah so the kids i want to talk about the kids um they are uh you know they have different like a, a wide variety of of gender presentation, which is non sort of not really uh, a dichotomous. It's more on a spectrum um, from the captain, who's not really one of the kids, but she's the head of the kids, so she's you know uh, she like uh, is down. 
<laughs> with them, you know, with her, her sort of short haircut and her, you know, uh, sort of being the, being the authority figure to the, uh, like slightly effeminate club kid guy who gets them, gets them into the club and who is really antagonizing Will Smith. Um, you know, uh, who, which is, which is funny because he's sort of the, the main rival for like the, the macho, um, macho title, but is not, you know, not particularly, uh, a rah, rah, you know, sort of masculine, um, sort of guy. It's, it's interesting. His ethnicity kind of plays into that a little well, so a little bit as well. So it's, it's, uh, intersectional. Um, it's not just one thing to the, uh, to the Vanessa Hudgens character, who is the kind of baddest ass of them all. Then to the sort of tall white bouncer looking guy whose backstory is that he's a bouncer. Um, and and was like really traumatized and they they play for laughs a little bit but also like but also realistically it is it is played for laughs a little bit but it's also accurately reported like the the consequences you know the potential consequences of sort of being a specialist in violence and what that does to you how it kind of warps your sense of of right and wrong your sense of self-worth your sense of of you know yourself as a uh you know moral being um in a way that that action movies that people rightly complain that action movies never take seriously well you know this one does right yeah like at the end he's like listen uh, uh like i i know i did what i had to do in the climactic battle of this movie fighting the final boss but uh like it took a toll on me and i was wondering if you guys would support me by like coming for a group session with my therapist as i work through my ptsd over like over the things i had to do uh and everyone's actually everyone's answer is probably pretty accurate given how people would actually respond in a situation like this which is that everyone you know on the surface vocally is very supportive and then they go off and there's like yeah no i'm not i'm not i'm not (laughs) I'm not going to therapy with that guy because they're too threatened by like what it might mean for themselves to actually examine their behavior and, uh, you know, the effects of, of, uh, traumatic circumstances on their, uh, on their own lives. So like the, the, they're an interesting, like they're an interesting case study in, in generational change, like, because you think they, they, you know they they are badder boys in some ways than than the bad boys but they don't really need that identity you know it's not it's not that they're more evolved no one's ever more evolved um but they have different avenues for for expression um than than the ones available to the bad boys to right, the titular yeah, yeah. bad boys yeah, because they yeah, they don't have because their captain doesn't act in the same way towards them as the bad boys. Other captain asks for acts towards them. And I think that's all very insightful. Definitely. Like um, they, they but there is a scene in which she is chewed out by superiors. But we, we yeah. actually don't we actually don't see that. You know, it's like, really interesting, right? That it, scene is really interesting. And so there are some, you know, there are some like white guys in suits. There are some like, you know, uh, uh, Apollo 11. There's some like NASA looking yeah, FBI right. agent. Yeah. Uh, agent Smith shows up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. White guys in crew cuts and, and dark suits, you know, yeah. who yell at the 
who yell at the, I think she's a lieutenant at the time. Rita, yeah. 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 Who yell at Rita. And, you know, just as a, as an interesting, <laughs> interesting lesson in management, because very often we like to draw lessons from action movies about, uh, you know, workplace uh, management and different management styles here on the yeah. Overthinking a Podcast. Um, she, that, that S does not roll downhill. Right. Yes. Like she del- it's so nice. She yeah. delivers to them the bad news, uh, yeah. but she doesn't sort of chew them out for it, and she doesn't act it out. She doesn't act out her uh, displeasure on on her subordinates in a way uh, in a way that you would expect from the you know get get your asses in here yeah. <laughs> uh, type of police captain character who's gonna you know really chew out Mel Gibson and Danny Glover or something right. Which the captain who is who precedes her in this movie yeah, absolutely the, the, is the Joe Pantoliano character. He, he, very sympathetic guy. Everybody really likes him, but he's totally that you know kind of give me your badge and your gun, Pulaski, or off the case. You know, kind of kind of uh, movie police captain, which is the dynamic in which the bad boys operate. Which is of course an intersectional dynamic, which is at the same time a metaphorical parent-child dynamic and also a racially charged dynamic, right? Where where black masculinity is attempting to assert itself. As a as a moral arbiter uh, and, and a sort of legitimate source of independent uh, moral force in society. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which is which is really, I think, if anybody with a master's degree asks you about bad boys, that's really what you should say, regardless of <laughs> whether you've seen the movie or not. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the other thing you should say is that it's all about taking video of helicopters slow enough that you can see the rotors. Although they don't do that in this movie, which is unfortunate. I wanted one really good slow motion helicopter shot, and I don't think we got a good slow motion over the shoulder helicopter shot in this movie. No, there, uh, but there were a good. I mean, what they did. This was the this toning down of the Michael Bay, you know, Bayhem style, rather than the thwukada, 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 you know, uh, slow mo shot like uh, way over crank shot of the rotors going around. Um, when the helicopter crashes through the stained glass ceiling into the road. <laughs> of the Hotel Hildago, the friction generated by the rotors on the floor slows down the rotors enough that you can see their motion as Rita pulls Vanessa Hudgens or the other way around out of the uh, out of the path of the oncoming rotors, which, you know, threaten to, to slice off a limb or something like this or decapitate them or, or right. something like that. And that that if 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 uh, if that is in progress, Pete, I don't know what is. <laughs> oh man i really like this movie just talking about this movie is fun yeah. like we talked about the one guy who like has to go to group therapy he wants to go he wants to bring everybody to therapy to help recover but we don't describe that the reason he needs to go back to therapy is because he performed a flying open field tackle against a 700 pound stone pillar knocking down a good quarter of the building and like killing like three to five men in the process <laughs> It's <laughs> like, you know, that takes a lot out of you and you really need to do some processing after you do that sort of thing. Right. Um, and, and again, it's like this is a really interesting test case for the idea of like, can you can you criticize a thing and be the thing at the same time? Well, I mean, of course you can. Right. Because they're doing it. Right. It, it's more like, how do you feel about this sort of uh, irony? Really? It's a very ironic movie because it's a movie about indulging in all of these things that it says have costs associated with them. Though it does, it does sort of suggest that you should pay the costs to them. 
which is uh, an admirable thing to do relative to the opposite. Um, I also kind of or feel that, like that rather that yeah. the, the, the choice, you know, you can choose to pay the cost or you can choose to kind of ignore the costs. Right. right. And that that paying the cost is the is the mature and the ethical thing to do. Right. Right. Although the thing that you really want to do is drop off the baby at the at the grandma spa day, ruining her time so that you could go engage in a variety of theatrical nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> that, that scene was so great. There's that. For those of you who haven't seen the movie and are still watching, maybe my favorite moment in the whole movie is um, – and I want to – you know what? I, we should be name-checking more of the great performers that are in this movie. Uh, like was it Charles Milton is in it and uh, and and it's um, – Someone who's been in most of the bad boy movies up until this point, who plays the mom. I'm like stalling to make sure I can figure out exactly who she is because it's the same. Yeah, Martin Lawrence's wife, right? Yeah, yeah, she's she's great, and she's in the other bad boys movies as well. Uh, as I continue to stall and look up who she is, at any rate, she's getting a massage right at, at the spa. She's having a spa day, uh, and, and, uh, and Martin, Martin Lawrence treated her. Uh, yes. and his daughter to a spa day because they were, he broke something, um, broke something in the house. Right. Right, right, right. Exactly. Uh, and, um, oh, come on, IMDB, give me the name of this. Yeah. She's not on the first, I'm looking too. She's not on the first page. It's, it's, shameful, it's uh, frankly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Teresa Randall, uh, Teresa Randall, you may know from such movies as spawn, um, or uh, or Duckman, the TV show, um, is that is that uh, in order to but Martin Lawrence is watching the baby right, He's, and so when Martin Lawrence goes to pick up Will Smith in the aforementioned Nissan Quest, which we did get back L- to the link Nissan in the Quest. link in the show notes by the way. Yes, exactly. The the discontinued and not advertised minivan that is mentioned by name in this movie, unless they're planning to bring it back. But uh, um, Martin Lawrence, you know, or Marcus picks up Mike and Mike is shocked to find that the baby is in the backseat of the van and he is getting and he is going to drop the baby off with the grandma so that grandpa and grandpa's partner can go chase down a lead regarding these uh, assassinations that are taking place. And there is this little scene where Will Smith takes this baby you know, carrier, this like little baby seat and like very slowly opens the door of the massage, (laughs) massage room, the spa room and like sneaks the baby into the room. And you watch the woman on the table, like realize that her day has been interrupted with the responsibility for this baby and be like, Oh no. (laughs) And and then, um, and then Will Smith has to flee. Right. Cause, cause Mike has to do it because Marcus knows that there's no way he would survive. Right. (laughs) Doing that kind of thing. Um, and it's just, it's just delightful. It's just, you think the movie, just when the movie is starting to get really dull, they have scenes like this, which are just really funny, just straight up really funny. Uh, the scene in the, in the air, the airplane, which we've alluded to previously, it's also extremely, is quite funny. I mean, I thought it was, did you like the scene in the conversation in the airplane? Yeah. I mean, it's no, uh, it's no Kevin Hart showing up in Hobbs and Shaw. No, no, it's not. Although but it's a, it's imitation of it, right? It's a, well, yeah, or a different a different sort of thing. I mean, it is. Yeah, yeah it is sort of. Th- I mean, the the 
there is this kind of yeah it's it's funny like it's a it's a weird play on the it's a weird play on the kind of the homosocial love triangle um where where the third party who should be a woman is actually a fellow passenger on the <laughs> on the plane and they have this sort of marital fight right, right. with uh you know um with a third party as kind of the the through they 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 engage in a proxy war uh using this this other person and and changing changing seats uh changing seats a lot but but pete uh i i'm i'm afraid we've we've come to the end of our time talking about uh uh bad boys three life that's that's uh we we managed to i mean uh you know i i should never worry whether we'll be able to get uh an hour out of any material <laughs> at all but we've we've gotten more than that out of out of this film do you have a a, a parting thought a closing hymn uh in this sort of <laughs> in this you know religious service of a film um i guess if if there is one closing hymn and one thing to take away from it it would be um that they didn't they didn't tack on the extra half an hour at the end of this movie that got tacked on at the end of bad boys 2 which i remember really bemoaning and disliking and being frustrated by the invasion of cuba scene in bad boys 2 Uh man it's describing the things that happen in bad boys movies is so fun. Yep. Maybe that's what I'll leave it with. It's like, so the scene where Will Smith drives a Humvee down a, down a shantytown hill <laughs> in an illegal invasion of Cuba in the fourth act of bad boys Two uh-huh. left a bit to be desired. And I was glad that it was not repeated. Um, yeah, that was, that, that was, yeah, that was nice. It's, it's nice that they didn't, you know, I mean, I, well, I guess they did make an incursion onto foreign soil. I was at least, Cuba is sort of relevant culturally to the to the film's kind of Miami setting. I mean, yeah. I thought that like Mexico maybe had more to do with, you know, current uh US concerns rather than, you know, being sort of belonging specifically to the to the world of the movie, which I thought was uh was a little disappointing. And they you know, they do stage a military operation without really any kind of authorization in uh you know in the the um territory of a sovereign power. But uh it's i guess it's it's smaller in scope is what yeah. we're uh, uh is what we're supposed to think about I'm it. just I'm just thinking it feels like it happens when the movie is uh, getting ready to be over not after the movie is already pretty much finished. Yeah, but well, Bad, um, Bad Boys 2 is a, is is uh you know a movie that exists to sort of profane the right like if if um I don't know if this is a, a priestly film, right? Like the, the, what is the, the kind of negative image of a priest? It's a kind of like burlesque gest, jester, uh, right? In bad boys too. Like the, the dead human body is not sacred in bad yeah, boys too. Right. The, yeah. the like, and actually is just played for laughs where like these corpses with big boobs are like, you're stuck in a, you're stuck in a, um, a body bag with a corpse because money is being smuggled out of the, country in corpses but like it's funny because the corpse has big boobs and like when we're in a car chase we're going to push the corpse out of the back of the the mortuary van and they just serve they like roll like logs like frozen logs on the ground and serve as like obstacles for the other cars to like uh uh, drive around to swerve to avoid or not avoid and kind of like bump over um yeah it's a it it, the bad boys too is a is a very nihilist 
sick movie. <laughs> I guess I guess what I will say is that we, the the soundtrack of this movie is really interesting and features a song with a reggaeton song with Daddy Yankee, which is a Spanish language reimagining of Here Come the Hot Steppers with different <laughs> subject matter. So I highly suggest checking it out. It should all be on Spotify. There's some interesting uh, the Pitbull is in there with Little John doing a song. So there's sort of a grand. I, the only thing it's missing is some sort of acknowledgement or revisitation to Will Smith's song Miami which I think mm. would have been really welcome uh, in this movie. Maybe he's saving it for something bigger. Like like the fact that the movie sets up a sequel right during the oh credits, my God. the gutsiest move. move. <laughs> Bad Boys 3 setting up a sequel is a pure balls move. <laughs> I will tell you, does, that takes a lot of guts does to, Eric, to, yeah, to put a minivan in the movie that they don't even make anymore. <laughs> and to also, in the same movie, have the confidence to set yourself up for a sequel uh is uh that's that's just a lot i'm sorry i gave like two or three different final thoughts even while i was criticizing bad boys too for giving two or three different final thoughts (laughs) what are your final thoughts yeah that's uh that's great i i think pete you know if you want to work off your overthinking its sentence there might be some films to overthink next week <laughs> but until then, visit us on the web at overthinking.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What, what you, you gonna, gonna do, do for an hour and ten minutes? Bad boys, bad <laughs> boys. What you gonna do? How many times are you gonna reference different movies that the people listening haven't seen? <laughs> so Martin Scorsese's Kundun. <laughs> you know, I heard Martin Scorsese wrote an op-ed in the New York Times that said Bad Boys 3 is the only movie made that qualifies as cinema. <laughs> it is the only true cinema <laughs> only of 2020. Cinema. <laughs>